listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. Between Two Worlds is really talking about the fact that when Jesus was here on earth, he made some statements where on the face of it, you'd think, does this guy know where I live? Like, really? Like he made statements like, he who wants to find his life must lose it. What the heck is this guy on? He who wants to be great must become servant of all. He then made some other crazy statements like, you got to love your enemies. Now, hey, let's be real. There's a few things I want to do to my enemies. Love them is not one of those things. Come on, anyone? Or is it, would, I heard Melbourne was full of super Christians, but in Auckland where we're all carnal, one of the things that I associate with enemies is not love. There's a few different words. Well, how about this one? If someone slaps you, Nadia said slap them back. We're looking for new Melbourne campus pastors, uh, ones that read the Bible. No, here's, here's the deal. Jesus said, if, if, if someone slaps you, then turn the other. Like, what is this guy on? I think the prophet Isaiah said it best where he said, God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. When we live between two worlds, I think this whole series is about us talking about the fact that we live a very natural life here on earth, but we have a God whose ways are not our ways. In fact, Jesus, when he said before he left earth, he said, hey, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom Come, your will be done on earth as it's already been done in heaven. And I've realized that the conduit God's using to get his kingdom from heaven to earth is you and I. Like he's entrusting you and I to live a kingdom world while we're here on earth. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that makes me feel like I'm between two worlds. Like, God, how do I out? Like, that's cool on a Sunday morning, but when I go to work and I got a boss who's a jerk, not my boss, your boss, when I got, scratch that part, when I got a boss who's a jerk, like how do I live kingdom principles when I'm on, under pressure Monday through Friday? And this whole between two worlds thing, I've, I've heard that Pastor Craig and Nards have preached some phenomenal messages about this between two worlds. I saw Pastor Nadia in some little bubble last week which, which is, that's awesome. I've I got a battery. I'm trying to upskill. I'm, I'm trying to top this whole little bubble deal from last week. But, but this whole thing is about, God, how do we bring your kingdom to earth? And how do we live between two worlds? In the last installment of these collection of talks, I'm, I'm pumped to be here today. We're going to be talking about the fact that in the economy of God, there is strength in weakness. There is strength in weakness. Father, I pray today that every one of us walk out of here with a fresh set of eyes on those areas of our life that aren't a strength, but we are weak in those areas. God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, shine your light on those so that we would walk out of here with a fresh perspective of our weaknesses in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we live in a world that promotes the presentation of strength, not the acceptance of weakness. 
I don't know if you've ever noticed, but look at every billboard you see. It says, if you buy this product, you will go from strength to strength. Not if you buy this, you will be able to capitalize on your weaknesses. Have a look at your social media feed and for 99.9% of it, there is not people telling you their worst day of their life. There is people telling you their best 30 seconds of their week. The rest of it has some challenges, but we don't see that on social media because we live in a world that promotes the presentation of strength rather than the acceptance of weakness. But in a kingdom culture, there is strength in weakness. And I believe that until we can embrace our weaknesses and see them right, then we can't capitalize on what strength God wants to bring to our weakness. Let me talk about an Old Testament character and bring to the fore what it means to come face to face with your weakness. I want to talk about Jacob for a couple of moments. And Jacob is one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. We're going to read a part of his life on his journey where he, become, where he comes face to face with some of his weaknesses. You ever had one of those moments where you come face to face? Like you've tried to deny it. You've tried to cover it up. You've tried to hide it. But there is a moment in life where you can no longer hide or run from a weakness that you have. Anyone? Four of us. Awesome. The rest of you need to be in a group. So, so Jacob, let me give you a bit of the backstory of Jacob. Jacob grew up in a home and he was the younger of a set of twins. He had an older brother called Esau. Now in the Old Testament, uh, if you were the older brother, you got what was called the birthright. And what that basically means is you got double the inheritance of your younger brother. I, I don't know about you, but I want to bring that. I'm the older brother. I'm going to bring that back. Like, where's that deal? You get that bill before Parliament, although double nothing's nothing in my part, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, so, so Esau has the birthright because he is the older brother, which means he's going to get double the inheritance. Jacob wants to steal the birthright from Esau so that he can get double the inheritance. The Bible says that Esau was a man of the wild. He loved to be out there and hunting, and he was hairy. He he was like the crossfitter of the deal, not the conventional gym guy. He wasn't all shaved and clean shaven. He was, he, he was, he was like, he was here. So he was out there hunting. And the Bible says that Jacob was like, a, he was a homebody. He loved to hang around home. So one day Esau was out hunting and Jacob and mummy get together and trying to conspire as to how they can cause Isaac, who was the father of Esau and Jacob, to give Jacob the birthright, in essence, stealing it from Esau. So while Esau is out, Jacob and mummy go out and kill a sheep. And they take the skin and the fur of the sheep and put it over Esau so that Esau could go to Isaac. Because the only way a birthright is activated is through the prayer and blessing of the father. So Esau is out hunting and Jacob gets his sheepskin on. I've got a question. Like how hairy do you have to be to be able to convince someone that when I wear a sheepskin, oh no, that definitely you. Like seriously, that's a problem. That, that's a real problem. But anyway, so Jacob wears the sheepskin, goes in front of his father, Isaac, Isaac rubs his arm and goes, yep, definitely Esau, not a sheep, Esau, uh, and, and, and activates the birthright. And in essence, Jacob steals the birthright from his brother Esau. In that moment, Jacob realizes that, hey, Esau's a lot stronger and a lot huntier 
than I am. He's going to come home and kill me. So I need to run. Here's what I've learned. Whenever I get the blessing of God through deception, I have to run to keep it. I can't stay in one place and in a peaceful moment because I've deceived. So I have to keep on deceiving to get it. So Jacob runs. He goes to his uncle Laban's place. And when he gets to uncle Laban's place, he looks around and sees that uncle Laban has two daughters and decides that he wants to marry one of them. The Bible calls one of them pretty and one of them plain. How would you like to go down in all of history as the plain one so Jacob goes to Uncle Laban and says hey Uncle Laban I want to marry the pretty one and Uncle Laban says hey well if you work for me for seven years I'll give you the pretty one so he works for seven years and on the wedding night they have the wedding ceremony they they go into the tent at the wedding night and Uncle Laban does the old switcheroo does the old I'm going to take the pretty one and give you the plain one and Jacob you read it Jacob wakes up in the next morning ah what happened Goes to uncle, because here's what I've learned, that what I sow, that will also reap. Jacob got the original blessing through deception, and now he finds himself still having to deceive or being deceived to get and keep a blessing that what you reap, you will also, what you sow, you will also reap. So, so Laban says, hey, no, no big deal. I know I gave you the plain one, but if you work for me for another seven years, I'll give you the pretty one. I know it's his cousins, and I know that he's going to end up with two wives. It's weird, but it's Old Testament. It was okay back then. So he says to Uncle Laban, hey, can you give me the pretty one? Work for another se-. So he worked for another seven years, and then he ends up with two wives. The Bible says that as Jacob's world grew, Laban became threatened. Does this sound familiar? Go back to when he grew up. As Esau's world grew, Jacob became threatened. So as Jacob's world grows and he has more kids and gets more cattle and gets more sheep and more cows and more more acquisitions, which was what status was built on back then, he thinks, if I don't get out of here, Laban's going to kill me because otherwise he'll be threatened by me. I'm going to run back home remember whatever you get through deception you have to run to keep so he leaves uncle laban's he goes to run home and halfway home he remembers esau's still mad at me when i get home he's still going to kill me here's what else i've learned you can't just run from family troubles and hope that it'll go away you've actually got to deal with it at some point so jacob is halfway home and he decides i'm going to send ahead of me i'm going to send my my, all my stuff and all my family to try and dis- convince and manipulate Esau not to kill me. He's still trying to use his own manipulation and own strength to convince someone of the will of God. See, here's the deal. I think Jacob had a sense that God wanted to use him, but he just wasn't happy with the timing of God. So he thought, I'll just give God a hand. Come on, you ever been tempted to do that? God, I know you're good. I know you're going to bless me, but it's just not happening quick enough. So I'm going to help you out a little bit and I'll show you how this thing should go. So Jacob, we're going to break into the story in Genesis chapter 32, where Jacob is halfway home from Uncle Laban's on his way home to his home and he's sent his his stuff ahead. Look at Genesis 32 verse 22. That same night he arose, took his two wives his two female servants and his 11 children. I'm thanking God for one and three right now. One wife and three kids, not two wives and 11 kids. Uh, And he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream 
and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. Then he said to him, let me go for day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. For, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. You know, most theologians believe that this is the first time we see Jesus in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Genesis 32, when we see Jesus. Reality is you see Jesus in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, because the whole Bible is about Jesus and a God chasing down a broken humanity. He said, so what is your name? My name is Jacob, which means liar and deceiver. If your name's Jacob in here, that's Old Testament. I'm sure it doesn't mean that New Testament, but which means liar and deceiver, which is the way he'd lived his life, his entire life. Then the man said to him, you're no longer shall be called Jacob, but Israel, which means prince. Here's what I've learned. When you encounter Jesus, he gives you a new nature. You go from liar and deceiver to what he called you to be. For you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, for I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. This is the first time in all of Jacob's life that he wrestled with anyone face to face. No mask, no sheepskin, no trying to convince. He said, I'm going to wrestle you face to face, challenges and all, warts and all, weaknesses and all. I'm going to wrestle you. And when God can get a hold of you, warts, challenges and all, he takes you from what others see you to what he sees you. For I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him and passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew of the thigh. Here's, here's what I've learned. When we encounter Jesus, we get a new blessing, a new nature, and evidently, a new walk. Here's what's crazy to me, is that before Jacob encountered Jesus, he didn't have a limp. And after he encountered Jesus, he walked differently, evidently with a limp. I've called this message as we talk about strength and weakness, free to limp. Free to limp. I've got a confession. I lied. People, people are like, do I laugh? Do I gasp? Like, what? <laughs> Thanks for the support. I appreciate it. Uh, I, two weeks ago, I lied. Like I flat out lied. It was the Tuesday after Life Conference. Like most of our staff, I'd, I'd done a whole lot at Life Conference and carried a lot and was exhausted. And my, my kids know that my weakness, one of the 47 weaknesses that I have currently identified in my life at the top of the list is patience. I wasn't born with patience. I wish patience was a gift, but the Bible says that it's developed. I hate the developed word. I just want someone to lay hands on me and give me some patience. Like I've got friends who are really, really patient. Like my friend Paul here, his wife is really patient. I wish Rita could lay hands on me, impart some patience, and I, but I don't know, 
the Lord finds it better that I would develop patience. One of the places my impatience rears its head the most is whilst driving. And Auckland is the worst. I was in Cambodia last week. I'd rather drive in Cambodia on a tuk-tuk than in Auckland with L-platers. Now, I own an L-plater at the moment. She is learning to drive, so I have more grace, but not the Tuesday after life conference. My grace is all gone. So I'm driving down the motorway uh, and with my son, my eight-year-old son in the back, and this L-plater decides then would be a great time to practice lane changing right in front of me on the motorway. So this learner driver (laughs) cuts me off and I go, My son, who's like the fourth member of the Trinity in the back, says, Daddy, patience. (laughs) In that moment, I had a choice. Do I either own my weakness or lie? I lied to my eight-year-old son. I went, oh, no, but that wasn't impatience. Daddy was at life conference last week, did a lot of speaking, and his throat sore. It was more, uh, I was more clearing. uh, He's like, okay, Daddy, and we went along. I lied. Let me make it real clear. Lying is not a weakness. That's a flat-out sin. But I lied because of my weakness of impatience. I've got a question. Why would we rather cover up our weakness? and you not see it, than to own it and grow through it. And if I was really honest, the place that happens the most is in church. It's almost like there's this, not, not Life Melbourne, but every other one of our campuses, that's almost like there is this unspoken rule that the longer you've been in church, the less weakness you should have. Like if you're new or you're visiting or you've been here a year or... You're just early on in your journey with Christ. And that's cool. This place is a hospital. Like you can, you can be weak and we will love you. And we're, Now, no one ever speaks about this, but if you've been here 10 years and you've still got weakness and you still got a limp, you still, you still got some stuff that's not quite right and we see your... Like if you've been here 10 years and you still struggle with temptation, something is wrong with you. Because I don't think in Christianity, particularly in Pentecostal churches, we deal well with weakness. Either our weakness or someone else's weakness. That's because I think the longer we go on in Christianity, the more our yardstick becomes perfection, not progress. So you've still got a weakness, but it's a bit better than it was a year ago. Well, We don't congratulate on that. We... Our yardstick becomes perfection. What would it look like if I gave you permission to limp and you gave me permission to limp and together we limped forward into the things of God, being real with the stuff that goes on in our life? That's why I've called this message free to limp. What if I gave you the freedom to limp? And what if you gave me the freedom to limp after me met Jesus? Because when I grew up in church, I thought I come to Jesus with a limp And then I walk away with him, not limping anymore. But Jacob teaches me, I go to Jesus covering up 
and I can walk away free to limp saying, God, I've got this challenge. What would it look like if we went into this week and we said to our world, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. I limp just like you limp. I got weakness just like you got weakness. But I got a Jesus who saved me and sustains me. I reckon that's how we're going to relate to the world. Not this, I got it all together and perfect thing. You ever been in a group? I was in a group, not, not in our church, in a different church. I was in a group where someone said to me, hey, let's get together and ride motorbikes. This jerk tricked me. I'm like, man, I'll ride some motorbikes. Let's do that. So every Saturday we rode motorbikes. We went out and had a coffee and came home. It was, I'm like, this is my type of group. And then week four, we sit down in a cafe and this jerk, there's like 10 of us sitting around a table. This jerk goes, so what are you all struggling with? I just got off a Harley Davidson and now you want me to tell you what I'm struggling with? What is wrong with you? And you felt the, the oxygen go out of the cafe, like everyone's looking at each other. And then super Christian over the other side of the table goes, oh, 10 years ago, I, I struggled with anger. Why have we always got to talk about 10 years ago? Like 10 years ago, I struggled with anger and I had a, but the Lord has healed me and I no longer struggle why do we have to talk about struggled and why can't we talk about struggling? In this group was a friend of mine who was a professional baseball player, spent nine months of the year on the road. And in the middle of brunch with 10 guys around a cafe, my friend Mike pipes up and goes, yeah, I've got a problem. I looked at porn all night last night and I feel bad. And our response was pretty much what your response was just then, like, did he just, like, didn't someone tell him? We're not supposed to talk about the struggling. We talk about the struggled. Like, didn't someone email him beforehand? Hey, at this point, the weird guy's going to say, what are you struggling with? You dig up something from the past. You talk about what God has healed you from. We all get on our bikes. We go home and we're good. But that's not embracing our weakness. That's covering So Mike goes, yeah, I looked at porn last night. Would you pray for me? And the craziest thing happened. In the middle of a cafe, 10 guys get around Mike. And we pray for this guy that God would sustain him and help him while he's on the road with a bunch of athletes that all they do is look at porn when they're not on the God, would you help him? Be salt, would you help him? Be light, would you help him? And then we all took a week each that we would commit to phoning Mike every day that he was on the road to say, hey, how you doing with that issue? And Mike came back from that season of baseball and said it was the best season he ever had. What if all of our groups look like that? Not where we're weird about it and not where it's like an AA meeting, but where we find a group of people who we're comfortable enough to go, this is what I'm struggling with. Not this is what I struggled with. What, what if we were all like Mike and talked about the thing? Not something that pointed towards the thing, the thing. Hey, this is the thing. That I'm struggling with, would you help me? This is my limp. Would you help me? Because the best place any person can be is at the end of themselves. Because hidden weakness is still weakness. It's just hidden. 
And for us to have strength in weakness, it can't be hidden. It's got to be revealed. Let me show you how the Apostle Paul puts it. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This guy had some strengths. Like this guy was a gun. And let me read you a piece of Scripture where he comes face-to-face with his weakness and then God has a response to his face-to-face with his weakness. 2 Corinthians 12 says this, Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because... I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more than is warranted by what I do or by what I say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Who's this guy? I just want like a revelation. I don't want a surpassingly great revelation. Just give me a revelation. Anyway, therefore, in order to keep me from boasting, becoming from conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This guy had a limp, he had a weakness, he had a challenge. Next verse, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. When was the last time you pleaded with God over your weakness? When was the last time you were real with God over the thing you struggle with? Not yet, pray for your finance and pray for your job and pray for your kids and pray for your future spouse or your current spouse, whatever's needed. Pray for, pray for all those that, well, when was the last time I said, God, I'm struggling. I'm limping. I have a weakness in this area. But he said to me, look at this, my grace is sufficient for you. You know that word grace in the original Greek means strength to defend? to ward off or strength to advance. Yeah, but I've got to get over this. I have to beat this. No, no, no. God says my grace is sufficient to defend against the attack, to ward off what's trying to come in or to advance in areas that you feel like you're weak in. Not your strength is enough. My strength, my grace is enough for you. Next verse. For my strength, my miracle working power is made perfect, shows itself most effective in weakness. You know what we try and do as Christians? We try and double down. We try and get God's strength on our strength so it's double the strength. Whereas the Bible says that God's response is my strength shows itself most effective in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Next verse. So that Christ's power may rest. That word rest means pitch a tent. You want the power of God on your life? It comes through being real with your weakness. And then he pitches a tent or abides on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in difficulties, in persecutions, and in hardships. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Here's my whole message in one sentence. I am never stronger than when I am transparently weak. I am never stronger than when I am transparently weak. Infusion of strength comes through transparency of weakness. Now I've got a battery here. And if we, if we were to look at the positive and negative of this battery, and the positive represented God's strength, and the negative represented my weakness. Here's what a lot of Christians do. They take their weakness and they say, God, you're not interested in my weakness. You're not interested in my reality. You're not interested. Religion will tell you, fix yourself and then God will accept you. So basically we nullify the strength of God because we don't engage God to walk in our weaknesses. We say, God, I've got it. I'll fix my weaknesses and then I'll come to you. But here's what I've learned. When I go negative and negative, nothing happens. There's no power in negative and negative. Or the other piece is we actually deny it and we take the strength of God and we take his positive and, we, and we're not real with our weaknesses. We say, God, I've I got no weaknesses. I praise you for everything and everything's great and oh, everything. You know those false people, the people where everything, here's the deal. When you've got positive and positive, then nothing happens. When you've got two positives, then nothing Nothing is right because the circuit is not closed on a positive and positive. But when I take my weakness and I attach it to God's strength and the circuit is closed, that's when power comes into weakness and changes the equation. No longer is it negative and negative. No longer is it positive and positive. But the power is closed. And if I held these two bolts together long enough, they would fuse themselves together. And the language in that scripture is when I am weak, then I am strong. It's when I am transparent with my weaknesses. The power of God infuses itself to my weakness. And all of a sudden, my weakness becomes my strength because it is infused with the power of God. When I know He loves me while I'll have weakness, I can grow through His love, not for His love. Catch that. Band, come on back and join me. When I know He loves me while I have weaknesses, then I can use that love to grow through my weakness. I don't try and grow for His love. Romans 8 verse 14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I'm 43 years old and I'm cool to be led by God because Jesus said that when He goes to heaven, He's going to send the Holy Spirit to lead me. So Holy Spirit, you can lead, I'm 43, you can lead me wherever you want to lead me. You can take me by the hand and lead me. But you know, the original language is in in that scripture, that word led can be better translated to carried. That's a whole different deal. Like, God, I'm 43. I don't need you to carry me. I I don't, like, really. It's going to look weird if you cradle me in your arms And I go through life carried by my father. Imagine coming into church, someone carrying me like a baby. 
me up here preaching. Someone. But the Bible says those who are carried by God. You know, about 12 months ago, my 15-year-old daughter, she fell off a bike and my wife went running over. That's why wives should never go to rugby, by the way. They should stay home because as soon as it looks like an injury, they're flooding the field with like bandages and ice. And how I many you know a dad's response and a mum's response are very different? Like mum runs over and she's, got, she's already got the dead all out and the wipes out. And the, I'm like, come on, babe, bust, dust it off. Let's roll. Come on, we've got stuff to do. Let's go. I look down and it's actually a, like it's a decent wound. She looks up at me and she goes, hey, dad. Would you carry me back to the house? I looked at her, I said, baby girl, I'll carry you. I don't care how old you are. If you are broken, I will pick you up. I will use my strength to carry you to a place where you can get whole again. What she was asking me when she said, dad, would you carry me? Was number one, are you able to? (laughs) Oh, yes, I am. Future boyfriend, remember that? And the second question was, are you willing? Baby girl, anytime you are broken, if you say, Daddy, would you carry me? I don't care how old you are. I will kneel down and I will pick you up and I will walk you to a place of safety where I can put the dead all on and I'll put the bandage on. And I reckon some of us in church, you may be 23, 43, 53, walking with God for 30 years and God is saying, would you let me carry you in your brokenness? You don't have to present perfection, but if you would just limp to God and say, God, I've got a limp, would you? You help me. But so many people walked up. God, I ain't got no limp. I'm all good. I'm I'm good. I walk straight. We can all see your limp. And God can see your limp. And I reckon today God's saying, would you let me carry you? You know that thing you've tried to overcome multiple times and you're good for a week and then you fall for a month and then you're good for a month and then you fall for a week. Let me carry you. You know the divorce you went through that on the outside you looks like it's all together but on the inside let me carry you you know that religious environment that you went through and it put some scars in there and you present like it's all would you let me carry you you know the failed business and the bankruptcy that you know I'm all good would, would you let me cause when I am weak then. I don't know about you, but I thank God I go to a church where I can go to Jesus not limping and walk away from Him limping because He wants us to be that real. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.com.